Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that we may hear your word this morning's joy. Amen. We have three passages of scripture this morning. The first will be from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. The second, our gospel reading from John chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. And finally, our epistle reading this morning from Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 17. Let's listen for God's word today. From Isaiah. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood a seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook, and the voice of him who called and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. From the Gospel of John. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I have said to you, you must be born again. The, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know, and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I told you earthly things, and you do not believe, how can you believe I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, 
so must the Son of Man be lifted up, and whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And finally, a reading this morning from Romans. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This is the word of our Lord, who is with God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Today, even more than most Sundays, we are aware of the presence of changing seasons in our lives and in the life of our congregation and even in the world. Baptism and reaffirmation of baptism is a celebration and a remembrance of beginnings in faith. While in the same breath we acknowledge the closing of Ashley's time here as our ministry intern. This is the time of year during which we celebrate the newness of life and the bright flowers and the greenery all around us, while acknowledging that in our culture, this is also a time to say goodbye to another school year. Even those who aren't teachers or students can feel this shift in the season. In the church, we move from the meat of the liturgical year, so to speak, the Advent, Lent, Christmas, Epiphany, Easter, and we move into a more relaxed pace, liturgically speaking. We enter into this long stretch of the year called ordinary time, where the pyramids will remain green, and I will wear my green stole ad nauseum until fall. And today in the scriptures, we see stories of call, of response, of moving on, of beginning again, of changing seasons. Every season brings with it a new call from God, a new reminder of who and where we are meant to be. Even as one season falls behind us, we are always entering into a new and fresh one. We have in the scripture passages today three very different stories of call and response. Isaiah, perhaps the most well-known of the Old Testament prophets. Nicodemus, a religious leader questioning what he knows about Jesus and about faith. And then us, the church. In one of the most dramatic call stories in all of scripture, Isaiah's vision is vivid and terrifying. God's presence fills an entire throne room and God is surrounded by these strange angels who are calling out 
in this call to worship. They're shouting, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of all. The whole earth is filled with God's glory. Not only is this throne room filled visibly with God's glory, but the angels cry out and say that God's glory fills the entire earth. And when these angels shout out, the ground rumbles. Can you imagine that? Before God even spoke, Isaiah was shaking in his sandals. And he seems to know somehow that he's been called to say something to someone because his immediate concern is his unclean lips. He's worried about the ways he and the people he's from have used words. He's afraid he's not good enough to speak for God. So the angel comes and cleanses Isaiah's lips. And once Isaiah has been made ready, God speaks. Whom shall I send? And now having confessed and been made clean, Isaiah is ready. Send me! Pick me! He shouts. But a very different story then we see in John 3. Where Isaiah's call is a distinct moment issued to him in this dramatic vision, Nicodemus's call is more of a process. It's much more low-key. Nicodemus gradually realizes that Jesus is calling him to challenge the status quo. While Isaiah sees God in a glorious throne room, Nicodemus comes to God in the quiet of the night. Perhaps Nicodemus is afraid to see Jesus in the daylight. There may be something deep down inside telling Nicodemus that he's about to be turned upside down. And I wonder, does Nicodemus come at night because he's afraid to really, really see Jesus? Does he have a sinking feeling he knows what Jesus is going to ask of him? Maybe he's hoping, hoping to dampen that somehow. But with Nicodemus's call, just as with Isaiah's, comes a challenge to be made new. Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God, says Jesus. But Nicodemus wrestles with this idea more than Isaiah does. He wants to take it more literally, for starters. Because sometimes taking things literally is easier. Then we can discount them by saying things like, you can't actually be born a second time, Jesus, instead of taking on the challenge that Jesus is really issuing us. While Isaiah is immediately ready to shout, here I am, I'll go. It's more of a slow burn for Nicodemus. And that's okay. This isn't the last time we're going to see him in the Gospel of John. As we move on to Romans 8, we see yet another call to repentance and new life. We see our calling as the church, as Christians, as people trying to figure out this life together. Like Isaiah and Nicodemus, we too are called to be made new. Our tradition likes to refer to ourselves as the church, reformed and ever reforming. We've been changed, and we allow the Spirit to continue changing us. We're called not to one confession and turnaround, but to a lifetime of repentance and renewal. I once heard a pastor read this passage from John 
and give a sermon about being born again, illustrating it by saying it's like getting a golden train ticket to heaven. He said, all you have to do is say this particular prayer in this particular way and you're born again and good to go. That was probably the worst sermon I've ever heard. It was certainly the most dangerous. For many people like Isaiah, conversion or calling is a distinct moment. That's not what I take issue with. The problem is the idea that everyone's conversion experience must be a distinct moment. And then if you haven't had that magic prayer moment, you're not actually a Christian yet. Because while Jesus says that you have to be made new, the person he says it to takes quite a while to get on board. We don't see Nicodemus responding to any emotional altar call moment. So that cannot be the only sort of experience that Jesus is talking about here. I also take issue with the idea that once that moment has passed or that prayer has been prayed, we're done. Little baby Leah, who we will be baptizing at St. Andrew's this morning, is not going to remember this morning. Just like the rest of us who were baptized as babies may have seen the photos, but we don't remember that day. Baptism is not a golden train ticket to heaven that gets us off the hook. It's a seal of God's grace in our lives, and it's a sign that a church makes a promise to help that person learn and grow in faith. It's a commitment to the process of constant renewal. When we remember our own baptismal vows, it's not just some nostalgic celebration of what holy parents we had when we were a baby like Leah. It's a time to remember that our baptism is still a work in progress as long as we're still alive, and that we are called daily to continue living as people called to a life led by the Spirit. This is not a golden train ticket to heaven. It's a call to be a renewed people who are constantly willing to be renewed. Our calls are all both very much the same and very much different. Even though not everyone here is called to a career in the church, we can all still glean some important things from the story of Isaiah's call. There is something in Isaiah's calling that we are all called to respond with. Confession. That's why we have it in every single church service when we gather together. Isaiah cannot be ushered into the next steps of restoration and full worship and living out his calling without first recognizing his uncleanliness and being cleansed. He can't move on to live his special place in the world without first addressing his personal calling to holiness. Called to holiness, as we see in Romans 8, is one that is placed on all of us. It doesn't matter what we are called to be. We are all called first to constant confession and renewal. Now Nicodemus is called to this personal internal transformation, not to a vocational change. He remains, as far as we can tell from Scripture, a Pharisee after his encounter with Jesus. We're not shown how he responds to his call in this particular passage. But later in John, in chapter 7, we see him defending Jesus. And again in chapter 19, he brings burial spices. His response is, uh, the response to God's calling is sometimes a slow burn like Nicodemus, and that's okay. Some of us just take a little longer to really pick it up and to process 
Nicodemus begins to question his faith. He goes to Jesus, and his faith grows. And eventually he does learn to challenge the status quo. It just takes him a little while. There's nothing wrong with saying, but how? A few times before we finally understand what it is that Jesus is saying. Sometimes we need to hear Jesus say it, then hear Jesus say it again, then see Jesus doing it, then see other people doing it, and then we finally start to catch on. God did not send Jesus to condemn us, sisters and brothers, and what good news that is indeed, for we are both a slow and an unclean people. Romans 8 gives us the picture of what a changed, renewed people might look like. There's some confusing language in it that we have to address. Because when we hear phrases like live according to the flesh, we tend to equate this idea of flesh solely with very physical sin, like sexual sin or gluttony. And this isn't a very faithful interpretation of the Greek. Sins like overindulgence, frivolous wealth, promiscuity are all certainly included, but to limit it to that is too narrow a reading. Some translations use the words corrupt nature or selfishness. The reason those sins are sin is because they're symptoms of letting the world rule us. We overcome those sins and other sins that come about by placing the world's ways first by seeing the world in a new way, not by sheer willpower. There must be a transformation of our hearts, a constant transformation of our hearts, in order for us to respond fully to our calling to live as renewed and holy people. We are called to communal and social transformation by Romans 8, to seeing the world in a new way. We, like Nicodemus, are called to challenge the world's status quo. Our own confession and renewal and transformation are evidenced by the ways we interact with others. We are called to be family. You have received the spirit of adoption. We are asked to participate in God's relationship with us and with others. We're called to live in relationship with and unity with all those around us as though we are family. If we're really called to change the world, if we're really going to make a difference, we must live with one another, not beside one another. One of the things that we heard time and time again when meeting with peacemakers in Israel and in Palestine was this. The governments and politicians aren't going to solve this. They don't want to. They have proven that they care more about their own power than they do about peace. So we have to make peace from the ground up by getting to know each other through education and art and culture and telling our stories. And friends, that's exactly what Romans 8 is calling us to do. We aren't called to fear. We're called to renewal. And that might make us unpopular in some circles. So what? Jesus is not about winning popularity contests. One of the places we went when we were in the Galilee region was a place called Sindiana. Sindiana is a collaboration of Israeli and Palestinian women who make olive oil together. Their olive oil is wonderful, for the record. You can get it in the United States at Whole Foods or on Amazon. But what they make is far less interesting than why they make it. These women have come together across cultural lines, across language barriers, and in spite of the puzzlement and even opposition of their friends and family. 
They're passionate about creating jobs for women in their area, many of whom have lost husbands, fathers, and sons to war, and about getting to know one another. They believe that the only way to real peace and healing in the world is by learning one another's stories and getting to know people who are different, including and especially those we are afraid of. That, my friends, is such a beautiful picture of the kingdom of God right here on earth. So as we move into what the church calendar calls ordinary time, let's remember this. The changing of seasons is a reminder that no matter how far we've come, there is still always something to learn. There's always someone to learn from. No matter how many seasons we have been through, every change of season is a new opportunity to reassess our calling and our place in ushering God's kingdom of healing and peace into this world. Each new season of life is an opportunity to repent, to seek, to listen, and to see the world with new and fresh eyes. Each time we say hello or goodbye is a reminder that our call as Christians is not one sentence set in stone, but it's a living, breathing, ever-growing way of life. As we remember our baptisms, let it serve as a reminder that we all started somewhere. And as we say farewell to a faithful budding minister, we remember that God is always carrying us each off in new and in wonderful directions. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am. Send me. Amen.